Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Frustrated Fan Podcast. Today I'm going to talk about uh, Blake Griffin uh, choosing where he signed. He uh, he actually finally uh, picked a place to sign and he chose the Brooklyn Nets. So now uh, good luck the rest of the NBA. Jesus Christ, there's nothing left. Uh, there's They're like Thanos putting in the pieces, the different uh, Infinity Stones in the gauntlet here with players that they're just adding to this roster all this to stop 36 year old lebron james like i I understand his supporting cast is a little bit more than that but jesus he's 36 like it's lebron you you really need all the you you need all these all-stars i mean they have like a shell of a bench at this point but like jesus christ man there's I mean, I, I wouldn't be surprised at this point if they do sign DeMarcus Cousins and Jamal Crawford and every available free agent at this point. It's just, I, I mean, I, it's what I would do if I was them, uh, especially because you're not tied up with Blake Griffin for the entire, or they don't, you, know, you have him for the re- remainder of the season, but you don't have him for a longer contract than that, which with dealing with Blake Griffin, that's preferred because you have no idea what the hell you're getting if you're Brooklyn. That being said, I will be copying a Blake Griffin Brooklyn uh, Nets jersey as soon as they uh, become available. That's a, that's an instant cop for me. Um, I'm I'm not playing, but yeah, I'm, just for fun. Uh, that, that that comment was just for fun, but uh, just to, just to kind of reiterate. Um, I mean, it solves their their uh, problem at the four. So now, what? What's left? What's left for Brooklyn? I want no part of that starting five if I'm any team in the league. I mean, even even still, if they would have played KD at the four and uh, uh, DJ at the five, you know, Joe Harris at the two is phenomenal. But if, at this point, you know, you have the, the second unit, I guess, with if you wanted with Joe Harris. Well, yeah, not even Joe Harris. You could literally do the second unit with any of those guys in Blake Griffin. As long as you don't have, like, DeAndre and Blake out there at the same time. Which, like, it could work. They could do some of their Lob City stuff. You know, that was always fun when they played together in uh, Los Angeles. But, like... Excuse me. But, uh... I don't know. It it just kind of solidifies what I talked about last time with how it's really just the Nets versus the Lakers at this point. I mean, I feel like Giannis losing out on another piece right here just sucks um i mean it especially because of how much fun he had in the all-star game uh i watched i just watched the dunk contest in the uh and the all-star game itself just because that's the only events i really enjoy never really was into the skills competition i'm glad that they do it you know it highlights some of those people that are you know great at everything but um even the three-point contest to an extent i don't really care about because i know who the best three-point shooters are in the league um and and the best three-point shooter of all time won so like that's that's how it's supposed to be like it's fun for everybody involved i'm glad that they have fun with it too but you you know who's getting the ball if they're gonna shoot a three it's steph curry or damian willard i'm not giving the ball to anyone else unless i have to i, I would rather them shoot from half court than Giannis pull up from a wide open like, like get a wide open three i would rather damian Lillard or steph curry shoot from half court than have Giannis wide open for a three if the martians have the death beam pointed at earth one shot to win it all i'm not picking andre iguodala max killerman you fucking idiot uh <laughs> one of the best takes of all time right there 
The Martians have the death beam pointed at Earth. One shot to save the world. I want Iguodala, you moron. Shut up. No, you don't. I want Dame or I want Steph Curry. That's it. That, that, I don't want anyone else shooting from three. If if someone else is shooting that, I don't I, I don't want any part of it. But I digress. Uh, All-Star Weekend was fun. It was, uh, it was, you know, I like the new format where they're playing by quarter for a charity and it... I think it helps the competitiveness of the game. That being said, it helps when you draft a, a decent team to, to go against the other one. The fact that LeBron had Steph Curry, Damian Lillard, Giannis, and Luka, and Kevin Durant's team got wiped out because of COVID uh, really didn't help at all. Uh, but it was it, it really wasn't competitive. I mean... The third and fourth quarter were a little bit better, but it was there's just too many stars on Team LeBron. It was way too obvious that they were going to win. Um, it was fun. It was fun for them, though. It was fun seeing everybody lob, get their alley-oops. You know, Chris Paul, Steph Curry, and Kyrie all dunked off alley-oops at one point. Like, it was fun. It was good. It was good to see, you know, that they can just go out there and have fun, put on a good show. Um I know that they didn't really want to play it. You know, it just kind of felt forced. And I understand that that's part of the NBA. You know, they've got to make money off of it. Um, I don't know what the the revenue generator it is for the team. that ho- Well, not the team, the city that hosts it every year. You know, it, it's a big thing. It's a lot of money going one way or the other. And it's very important that teams have that. But I don't know. I feel like these last two years, especially with COVID, the way that these athletes have had to sacrifice for sacrifice time with their families and themselves with you know just to entertain people it's i don't know it's not necessarily fair everybody's like oh shut up just play basketball you're here to entertain me but these are people you know they have families they have hopes dreams aspirations things they want to do outside of basketball it it would be like you know you have no no break from your job like i don't know I get that they're playing a kid's game and, you know, that they're living some people's dreams, but you, you got to put some of that into your own perspective, you know? you, you, you want, At the end of the day, you want to spend time with your family. You're putting in, I don't even know what the average day for an NBA player would be. Probably like a fucking 12-hour day at that point. You know, you wake up and don't even get me started on the diet and the exercise and the way that you have to keep your body in shape. It's ridiculous, you know? You can't really be mad at these guys for just wanting a weekend off. Really. Give them a break. But anyway, just to just to keep on the uh, the, the storylines and the headlines for this episode, just mainly going to talk about um, just, just the thoughts from All-Star Weekend, the takeaways from that, you know, Blake Griffin signing with the Nets and what that means for the future of the NBA. But just to, just to continue off of that, um, I... Uh, I missed Clay Thompson out there, man. Um, I like Jalen Brown, but man, the the drop off at the shooting guard position when Clay Thompson isn't out there, it just sucks to see. I liked, I hate that I keep hating on Jalen Brown in these episodes, but I always thought he was going to be the best player on the Celtics and that he would be the best um, out of that group that they had with like Tatum and uh, Brown and Smart and. Just, just the the start of the positionless basketball. I really saw that you know Jalen Brown had the explosiveness on the athletic ability, 
and he had the ability the ability to shoot the three pointers. Like, okay, here we go. You know, he can piece all that together with ball handling, playmaking. We got a we got a serious star on your hands. And he hasn't been that. You know, he made the All Star game, but like, it's very clear that it's still just da- Jason Tatum's team. Like, the Celtics are Jason Tatum's team, and I don't care what what someone says. Or it's like, it's a uh, Brad Stevens team. You know, he he fucking makes him go through positionless basketball. It's all Brad Stevens, the magic of Brad Stevens. Well, the magic of Brad Stevens has the team sitting at 500 and always making you want more every single year, all right? I'm so tired of this Brad Stevens narrative and that he's just some basketball god and guru that understands everything so much more than everyone else. Okay, I get it. You're Brad Stevens, but come on. You really think that, that he's the, the reason for the success every year? You really think Brad Stevens... When the Celtics win, it's all the brilliance of Brad Stevens. When they lose, it's... Man, Marcus Smart didn't do this. Or Jalen Brown didn't do this. Or Jason Tatum didn't do this. It's never... It never feels like it's Brad Stevens' fault. The fact that they didn't make it to the finals last year when everyone picked them, I blame Brad Stevens. The fact that they're valued so high every single year, I blame Brad Stevens. Because... You're going to tell me every time they win, Brad, Brad Stevens is a brilliant coach and he's got it all figured out and they're just getting bad breaks or they have the injury bug or it just feels like every other time that someone says someone's a fantastic coach and the team underperforms and they're just like blame it on something else. At the end of the day, you're the one who's not necessarily in control of these guys, but like. Come on. How many times are we going to give excuses to Brad Stevens? I think that the best iteration of Brad Stevens has had in in I mean, his Celtics tenure was the Isaiah Thomas year with the King of the Fourth. You know, That team felt the best, at least, when it came to the Celtics. I don't really like this year's Celtics. I didn't like last year's, and I didn't like the year before that. They don't have any... Okay, I understand there's positionless, but they don't feel like they have any direction either if that makes sense. The fact that there's no defined position, fine, whatever. We're going to play, you know, five out the entire time. There are no numbers. There are no whatever. Everyone can dribble the ball. Everyone can shoot. Everyone can play in. Everyone can play out. Okay, fine. It's kind of working, but not really. Other people are copying it because it's copycat league and that's how it goes, but it really doesn't feel like it's making that big of a difference to me right now. Um, but in the way that they have no position, I feel like they have no direction. Um, when that Isaiah team, that Isaiah Thomas team, sorry, uh, played, I felt that every game was going to go down to the wire because if it was the fourth quarter, you knew they were bringing it. You knew Isaiah Thomas would just lock in and the rest of the team would follow suit and they would just, they'd find a way to come back. They'd find the way the will to win. Even when they had... Um, Al Horford, I feel like they were still a better team. You know, I feel like the the way that they have it now with Tice, it feels almost like Birdman-esque in the sense that he does what? Besides rebound, play defense, and dunk. And, you know, if you've heard this podcast before or anything to do with the NBA whenever I talk about it, I don't care for big men that only do blocks, rebounds, and play defense. Like, and you dunk that that's it that's all you're gonna do at the end of the day it feels like you're wasting time and you're wasting a position and 
in the way that the NBA works. You can get a guy that can still stretch the floor from the five position, or there's too many talented fives out there for a team to just say, eh, we'll just, you know, we'll just not even worry about five, you know. The fact that, you know, players like Frank Kaminsky, players like uh, Tice, players like Birdman, players like Bismack Biombo, players like Cody Zeller, and I don't even like putting Frank the Tank in there because he can actually shoot a little bit, or at least he could in college. NBA transition's been rough for him. But there's a clear mold for what's going to work in the league, and everyone that I just listed is not it, okay? Very clear and obvious option for what works is you're either seven feet tall and you dunk and rebound, i.e. Clint Capella, DeAndre Jordan, uh, Andrew Bogut, or you're a lockdown defensive guy who's also tall and rebounds, i.e. Rudy Gobert, Steven Adams. Um, I mean, I guess somewhat uh, Bam. I think Bam has more offense than just defense or whatever, but that was his main focus when he first became a star was his defense. Um, but that was like Hassan Whiteside's claim to fame. You know, the man could block shots, get you boards, and get a double-double every night, and now he's a no-name. Like, it's just so quick with these big men with how you know how big of a flash in the pan it is to where it's like all right well what do i do you know i think the main thing holding the clippers back yes they have serge Ibaka, but the zubats like you really gonna make me think that a team that is starting zubats makes me think yeah they're gonna win it all no are you high what no I don't care who else is on that team. It is a very clear weak spot. And it's a very clear weakness. You know, LeBron abused Tiago Splitter in the uh, in the finals when they played the Spurs. Just absolutely massacred him. Splitter was the same thing. He's just a big center who played defense and he got rebounds. They had the best power forward of all time on that freaking team, Tim Duncan. And I think they did better when they played him at the five than they did Tiago Splitter. I just, I don't know, man. I get so frustrated with this. I get so frustrated with the Celtics. I'm not even a Celtics fan. I don't even hate the Celtics either. I just, I'm so tired of it just being shoved down my throat every year that I have to take the Celtics seriously. <sighs> but I digress, you know. I'll get off that that little tangent that I went on. And, but I <sighs> It really just feels like Nets and Lakers. Like, don't get me wrong. I love Utah. I love the story around it. I love the way that they've been playing. I love the chip on their shoulder. I hate Shaq for his comments that he made to Donovan Mitchell. And I think that that's lit a fire underneath this team. And, you know, the the resurgence of Jordan Clarkson has definitely helped. You know, Mike Conley being named an all-star for the first time in his career is way overdue, even though DeMar DeRozan probably should have got in. Mike Conley should have been in at least once, if not twice, for when he was in Memphis. Like, the fact that he was never in there is ridiculous. Um, but, you know, if you're if you're Giannis, you're unbelievably frustrated by hearing the news about Blake Griffin. You know, I understand that you made the trade for Drew Holiday, and Drew Holiday's been good. You know, he's been, he's been a definite uh, blessing for you in this time, but it still feels like your team is underachieving. It still feels like... Uh, I I just I just feel so bad for the guy. Like he had all the power and to switch it up and I I'm going to reiterate again. 
I don't think Giannis should have won MVP last year because I don't think he is the most valuable player in the league. Yes, he set an all-star record, like an all-star game record for uh, field goals made and attempted. You know, you know that 100% field goal percentage for the entirety of the all-star game is absolutely absurd, but it's the all-star game. He's defensive player of the year, but I will say it time and time again, the Miami Heat laid out the perfect blueprint to beat Giannis. It is very clear and obvious how you beat him. And until he can evolve an outside shot, you're going to see the same things and you're going to see the same result. Great regular season team. Definitely going to be Eastern Conference bound, but like finals bound, sorry. Eastern Conference finals bound, but there's clear limitations with Giannis aside from his, his physical gifts. Like the fact that he's as big, as good, as fast, and as strong as he is. It's good, like don't get me wrong, but those things wear down. I was thinking, you know, the only way that you can last in this league is you adapt over time. Look at the way LeBron has adapted over the years. Look at the way that, you know, any of these any of these old men have played. You know, we went from a uh, a mid range jumper and a ISO game uh, and ISO ball kind of game to, you know, we're shooting three pointers as soon as we touch the ball now. We're we're not letting the ball get 15 seconds into the shot clock before we have our first shot. Like, in the way that Melo's had to adapt to that when he's actually found a, a decent role for Portland rather than having to be the ISO scorer that he was before, it just didn't work. You know, LeBron has found ways to adapt to where he's become more more of a facilitator than what he was before, but still being able to shoot from the logo. Like, if you were would have told me LeBron James would be able to shoot from the logo consistently. I would have thought you were nuts, but here we are. He can do it. He can shoot five feet behind the three-point line. Heck, by next season, Damon Curry will probably be shooting from three-quarter court, just like the opposite free throw and just be, you know, launching it and probably still making them. I don't, I don't get it, man. But to bring this back to Giannis, you know, I, I think it's just a trend that we follow in the media every year. You know, we find the best story. We push it as hard as we can because it's what the people love. And, you know, it gives us clicks and it gives us, you know, views on our articles and it gives us, you know, more recognition. But I don't think that it's fair because it's not necessarily the immediate truth. You know, everybody wants what's new and what's shiny every year. But we have to look at the data behind that and we have to see you know, what really is the deserving deserving factor for MVP at that point. I understand it's a regular season award, but I wish I got, you know, more postseason recognition as well with it because it just feels like, it just doesn't feel like it's a big enough deal. Like, when Michael won the MVP, it was clear and obvious that, yeah, he's the best player in the league and no one is going to do anything to change that. I mean, there were guys that had fantastic seasons, but it wasn't like, you know, every team had a MVP caliber player. I'm not saying that everyone who's won the MVP hasn't been an MVP caliber player at some point, but it just seems like, you know, it was an obvious story thing. You know, Russell Westbrook averaged a triple-double. Absolutely insane. But then he won the MVP, and then the next year averaged a higher triple-double statistically than what he did the year that he won the MVP, and he wasn't even considered. Like, he was maybe fourth 
maybe fifth in voting. It's just, it, it's, we find the narrative every year and then we go with whatever the heck we think, you know, is going to sell the best. And it's very frustrating. I say we because, you know, I'm studying journalism and I, you know, I pay attention to everything in the media. It's just like, there's a, there's a duty here as, as a, as a journalist to, you know, see through the bias and see through some of that stuff and find the actual truth. Well, the actual truth is stuff that people don't want to hear, or if it is, it just gets overshadowed by this because we get more clicks and more views out of everything else. So I'm shutting down the Joel Embiid MVP train. As much as I would love a center to win MVP, it's not happening. He's at, he averaged 40 and 10 more time, not average, sorry. He's ha- he scored 40 and 10 plus more than anyone else in the league. And has more games of that than all the other teams combined. But is Joel Embiid single-handedly going to win it, make a team win? No. Look who else is on his team. Look at that team and tell me that Joel Embiid is the best player on that team well and away. I understand, you know, LeBron is not well and away the best player on his team. One would argue that Anthony Davis is at the same level, if not occasionally higher than he is. But... MVP has become such a watered down, such a, not necessarily watered down, but it just feels like it doesn't carry as much luster as it used to, you know? When Curry won unanimous MVP, I thought that Harden should have won it. It just seems like, I don't know, I, I can't be pleased in that, instant, that instance, and I get frustrated because of it, but it's not necessarily fair, because it feels like no matter what, you know, what direction they go in, there's always going to be a loser. But that's that's just part of it, you know. That's just how it goes. The fact that Paul George was, like, top three in MVP voting either last year or the year before, um, whatever, man. <laughs> the fact that Paul George was, like, considered to be, you know, one of, one of the next up-and-coming, you know, massive stars is so disappointing when you consider his his bubble play just so unbelievably bad like like the dude looked like he didn't even need to be out there like he looked like he was playing at the y like he was i you you know it was just disgusting i don't want to get i don't want to get into pandemic p i don't want to get into that yeah i talked about Giannis and the mvp and you know i'm coming i'm coming back around here to uh full circle I guess in the sense that you know when I talked last about the Eastern Conference it was the Bucks, the Nets and the Sixers that had a real chance to go into the Eastern Conference Finals and the same thing is going to happen this year that happens every year one of those teams is going to get the injury bug the other team is going to underachieve and the last team is going to get into the finals if I had to pick I think this year it's going to be you know the the Bucks underachieve the Sixers get the injury bug and the Nets go to the finals. I think that's just the way that it's going to go. And the argument could be made for the Nets to get the injury bug because Kevin Durant's already been injured this year, because uh, Blake Griffin's already already been injured this year, because Kyrie, you know, sat out and missed some games earlier this year. They could very well be, you know, in the same instance, and they don't have much of a bench, so you know, you lose one of them, you know. It's, it's not necessarily like playing left-handed because you still have, like, 
four of their all stars, but at their at their full strength, you know, it's like the Warriors when KD went there. You know, you you couldn't play your buddy in two K. If they picked the Warriors, I just wouldn't play. Like, it's pointless. Like, even if they sucked at the game, they could still beat you because they had that team. Nobody's playing the Nets now in two K. If you play the Nets in two K, you suck. You suck at the game. You suck as a person. Screw you, man. Don't do that. But they, they're just they've just reached that level. And, you know, wherever DeMarcus Cousins goes, he's the last piece in all of this. He's the last, you know, real option out there in free agency that someone can grab and make them better, make their team better. But it just won't matter. Even if he signs with the Lakers, as much as I think he's needed there, I don't think that it's enough. I mean, they have Marcus Saul, which he was great for uh, Toronto when they won the championship. Really, really impressed with the way Marcus Saul and Brooke Lopez have both changed their games. As they've adapted, like I said uh, earlier, they have to adapt and change their games. Because they were both, you know, back to the basket postmen. Marcus Saul's grind-out grizzly years with Zach Randolph. I would have never thought the man would learn how to shoot the three as well as he has. And it's really it's, it's really something to see, and I'm really awesome. Really happy for Mark. It's really awesome. but uh, And Brooke, too. But DeMarcus Cousins is another stretch five an invaluable position even if you brought him to the 76ers with Dwight you know you, you can put Dwight at the four and put uh Boogie at the five and you can still stretch the floor and let Dwight do his thing on the inside you put him you put him on the box it's the same thing Lopez needs a rest you put DeMarcus out there he does the same thing it just it's just too valuable for people to overlook and I don't understand why you would overlook something like that I don't know. It's the same thing, too. I read today that uh, Houston is uh, considering moving Oladipo. Um, I'm trying to think who was interested in it. Uh, I think it was the Bucks, maybe? Or the Sixers? Eastern Conference team, I'm pretty sure, that was looking into adding Oladipo. Which, like, if they could trade for him, I think it's the same scenario as, like, the Nets. You know, you're just adding more infinity stones into that Thanos gauntlet right now to beat LeBron. But he's another guy that, you know, he's not a free agent, but if you could get, you know, it's a fire sale right now in Houston. Anybody's on the table, you know, they take whatever, give us picks. We don't care. But I think that uh, Victor Oladipo is another solid, you know, uh, bench player at that point, you know, let him kind of find his game again to where he can be the starter that he was in the sense of where he comes off the bench, you know, look at the resurgence for Jordan Clarkson this year with Utah. The man was absolutely nowhere for, uh, the Cavs in the finals when LeBron had him. The man had like maybe three points per game when, when he was with the Lakers, he was a, he was a, <laughs> a borderline six man of the year. And, and here he is <laughs> with another six man of the year, uh, uh, caliber season. So sometimes it just takes, you know, time for these guys to find their game again and rebuild it to what it needs to be. I mean, Mike Conley's changed his game since he's gone to Utah. Uh, and he's been a resurgence for him. He's He's been a new light for him at the point guard position. I liked Ricky Rubio, but he had his limitations. You know, we're to, like I say all the time, we're at a point where you have to be able to do everything at every position. You can no longer be a pass-first, fancy layup um point guard anymore you can't just get by with nine points and ten assists 
as good as that is, it's not good enough to win a championship and it's not good enough to be considered an all-star anymore. You know, Rajon Rondo, before the obsession with the triple-double, was the king of triple-doubles. The man constantly had them when he was in Boston. But the game has evolved too much and we're past the point where that really matters. You know, people will take a Goran Dragic over a Rajon Rondo any day of the week now because scoring is so vital and so and, and the versatility in scoring is also so vital because of the way the game is played. There's, there's really no way that these, like, skill-based players... You know, Tony Allen would never survive in this NBA. As good a defender as Tony Allen has been, one of the best ones I've seen in my lifetime because I'm 23. I mean, I haven't seen, obviously, the best of all time. But in terms of, like, modern NBA and watching, Tony Allen was the best wing defender for years. But that's all he did. Probably averaged, like, eight points a game at one point, but still was absolutely known for his defense, you know? it just wouldn't work now that people are too big too fast and too skilled for just to only be good at defense it's just it's just that simple but you know i i'll digress on that i i'm trying really hard to let that go <laughs> let that tangent go let that rabbit hole go but it just sucks it, it sucks to see and it sucks to experience it uh but I still think that it's a very clear, uh, you know, to, to sum it up here, as much as I'd like the Heat to make another resurgence, another push for the postseason, and as much as I believe in Jimmy Butler because of the grind and the grit that he possesses, nobody's going to outwork Jimmy Butler. I understand that. But I think that that team is just mentally worn out, you know. As the season gets along, you know, we're, we're, in, the, we're in the second half now. Um you're going to see these teams make more of a push now, and the, the younger teams with less experience are going to fall out of the, the playoff picture um, or just drop in the seeding. I think that, excuse me, I think that it's really going to come down to, you know, it's it's just that time of year where the veterans start to take over and the young guys kind of lose their stuff because the veterans start pulling tricks out of their bag. You know, they, they play a little bit more defense. The refs let them play a little bit more physical. And... You know, we stop playing regular season basketball. We start playing postseason basketball. That's really what it is. But um, teams like uh, teams like the Suns are still going to stick around, and because of Chris Paul's leadership and his experience, I really hope he can get to the conference finals. But the way that the the West is looking, uh, the the people that they're going to have to go through, as long as it's not the Lakers until the finals, I think they'll get there. If they play the Jazz at some point, like in a series throughout. I think they can get past them, um, but that full-strength Lakers squad is just, to me, it feels like unbeatable when it comes to just teams in the West. I know they could beat them any night, but in a series, in a seven-game series, I don't think anyone beats that team. As much as I like the Nuggets, as much as I like the Jazz, as much as I like the Suns, as much as I, I want to like the Clippers, I don't think that they have a chance. The inconsistency of Paul inconsistency of Paul George is just something that I can't I can't get behind and I can't put my faith in. Um, I just can't do it. And Kawhi Kawhi is Kawhi, and he will be what he will be. But you know, the bench is still the best in the NBA. But I don't think uh, Zubats. Like, come on, you really think Zubats is going to beat LeBron? No, you're only as good as your weak your weakest link at this point, and that's a pretty weak one. Um, 
the Nuggets still need their third guy. Still need that third guy to step up. Still need that. Um, same thing with the Jazz. You know, Mike Conley's kind of flirting with that. Jordan Clarkson's flirt, flirting with that. And I think they're they're helping out just enough to where you can actually kind of see it. But I don't think it's enough yet. I definitely don't. Um, I still don't like Rudy Gobert. Not just because of the whole COVID thing, but he's also an ass for that. Fuck you, Rudy Gobert. But um, yeah, they're making a 30 for 30 documentary about Rudy Gobert. And trying to save some face, you know, with him kind of taking the whole thing more serious now, but I don't care, man. Fuck you still. Just a very insensitive joke. And at the time, I get it. You're trying to be funny, but come on, man. Carl Anthony Towns has lost so much because of COVID. That's just, it's just so wrong. Anyway, um, I still don't think he's a good enough second piece for them. I think if they had Bam instead of Rudy Gobert, uh, I think they'd be a better team. Which, like, kind of hot take, but kind of not. You know, you, you're basically the same caliber of player, but I think you get more offensively out of Bam than you do out of Rudy. I don't think you give up too much on the defense and the uh, um, rebounding aspect of it. Uh, I know you lose size, but I don't. I just don't get... I don't care. Uh, if I have the option of a skilled offensive, offensive and defensively skilled four versus a solely defensively skilled five i am going to take the offense and offense and defense of four over five and i will play small ball i don't care we're we're in an era now where big men don't matter so i'll lose the rebound battle as long as i win the three-point battle i don't care that's just the way the nba works now um but i don't think they get through the lakers um the lakers just have too much they have too much and for them to repeat it's going to be hard they don't have the veteran leadership they had last year, but I think they still have the talent around them to at least get to the finals. I think now, with Blake Griffin being on the Nets, I think that um, it'll go to either 6 or 7, and I think the Nets will win in 6 or 7. Uh, I'll give it a little bit more time to see how Blake Griffin uh, really fits into this offense before I make that final call, but um, I'm going to take the Nets initially right now in six to seven games because i think as good as ad is and as good as lebron is they lost not necessarily much in danny green but on paper they lost you know the the and this is in quotes the three-point specialist in danny green that you know he was supposed to be um and caldwell pope is good don't get me wrong Car caruso's doing what he can uh horton tucker's been a great um new piece for them but Schroeder has to be Schroeder. Schroeder really has to be that almost six-man-of-the-year caliber player when he's in there every time. So does Montrez Harrell. You know, both of these guys were in the discussion last year for the award. Montrez ended up winning it, I think, um, when he had Lou Williams on the same team as him. So this is, you, you guys have to prove your worth here in order for your team to have a serious chance in this because man good luck because if ad guards kevin durant he's too fast he's going to get around ad or he's going to shoot shoot it from the outside if uh, montrez is on kd he's got height and he'll just shoot over the top of him if braun guards kd that means there's a mismatch somewhere else with davis 
that means that Davis is either guarded by a smaller defender or um, or DeAndre Jordan the center, um, which in turn means that the remaining <laughs> the remaining players for the Lakers are guarding Kyrie Irving and James Harden, Joe Harris, and possibly Blake Griffin. Okay. Yikes. <laughs> Good luck. On the off chance that they're not guarding them, you'll have a minor advantage for however long, but as long as this team is healthy, there will always be an all-star on the floor every single minute of the game, and that is scary. That is scary for any team that has to play them. There will never not be one to two all-stars on the floor at all times for the Nets. Yikes. I want no part of that team. Yeah, I think uh, I think that pretty much does it for uh, for today. Um, got a couple more f- episodes coming later in the week. Uh, like I said, Free Agent Friday is gonna be uh, is gonna be pretty good uh, with the NFL this week. But um, I'll just kind of keep uh, making episodes as news comes out. So if there's more uh, more news tomorrow, like about Demarcus Cousins, or you know if Oladipo ends up getting traded. Uh, just watch for another video well not video another another episode about uh about that then but uh until then um i guess i'll just see you next time later